Welcome to the 17th episode of Born in Trouble. I'm your host, John X. On a special Sunday night movie edition where we're going to discuss the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, it took me a while to get up with this, but today I've got with me my two close brothers, Mr. From, as usual, we're going to go from, this time we're going to go from west to east, Mr. Grant Lancaster. Say what's up. What's happening, player? There you go. And Rob, Mr. Robert Brooks from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Yeah, I, yeah I made you second, bro. What's what? going on? I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not keeping score and stuff like that, man. You know, okay. you know me better than that. But you can see he's already got like a militant posture to his voice already. Like, he's ready to ride hard, it sounds like. This brother's always giving me pregame issues. Pregame issues. But today we're here on a Sunday to talk about Judas and a Black Messiah and also to make an announcement it's been a short 17 episodes, but um, actually a couple of days ago, I got word that um, we've decided to move this podcast over to a different format. So this is going to be the last official podcast. Actually, this is going to be the first official podcast on Spreaker. So there you go. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have we don't have Gene to, to give us some righteous indignation right now. That would be that would be good. <laughs> it would be good. It's probably called for right now. Because we've just sold out to the man somewhat. Right. But no, they, they, they made me a nice offer. And um also it'll be a little bit more it'll be a, a little bit more professional show, I guess, because we'll have ads before it, ads during, ads after. The brothers wasn't no. mad anymore. The brothers right. wasn't mad anymore. <laughs> they was giving out jobs. Doesn't mean that we're actually making any money here, though. So, right. any relatives out there, please don't call me for loans. We're not there yet. We're not there yet, brother. But yes, maybe, we're maybe in the next lifetime. Maybe in the next lifetime. But we're moving over to Spreaker, and that's the big announcement for today. Congratulations, gentlemen. You guys helped me get here, and I appreciate it. You know, what started out as a podcast just for fun and to kill time during COVID, so that way I didn't end up jumping off the top of the roof of my house over and over again until it actually took, um, has turned into something that could possibly make me money, and not even mad at it. Yeah, well, listen, wow. I love it, man. I love it. I, I love being a part of it. No, yeah. I, I appreciate the people that are listening. Well, you notice that I said me because that's where the capitalist comes in. But, yeah. <laughs> this is this is very Judas and the Messiah. Judas and the Messiah. That's correct. It's already very Judas. <laughs> well, you know, I was I just watched the movie. I just got done a couple of hours ago watching the movie, and um, wow, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. expound, brother. Well, expound upon it. I mean, first of all, like Fred Hampton, he's been like one of my heroes um, as far as. His work within the black community, not many people are aware of the fact that, or now that I'm sure that they probably a lot more people are aware of the fact that the free lunch program was something that was innovated by Fred Hampton and the Panthers. And mm-hmm. we've seen over the years, it's they, this is a group of uh, black individuals that have gotten a raw deal. You know, they've gotten, they've gotten a raw deal as far as like the publications, the media, as far as their legacy is concerned. Um, we should have... Every black child should probably know about Fred Hampton. But in a rush to escape from a lot of those roots, I think that, which is something I want to discuss a little bit further into the show, that's probably one of the reasons why we don't have that knowledge of um, Fred Hampton, Brother Fred Hampton, Dr. Fred Hampton, I should say. Is that that's correct, right? Dr. Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie really had the usual effect that really pissed me off. You know? Yeah. Anytime you... It's, t- Go ahead, Grant. It's, it, it's, it's, it's going to do that. You know what I mean? Even even knowing the outcome going in, just the visual of it is going to, you know, it's going to bring some emotions to the, to the forefront. Definitely. There, there's the line in the movie where they basically say that, you know, the Panthers are the same as the Klan. And in that line, in that moment, like you're just blood boils for a second because, like, wait a minute, we've just we've we've established all the good that these brothers have done here, 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, your fragile white male egos, you know, C- cannot accept. They they just couldn't accept the fact that these it's it goes to it goes to like everything that they that they actually put forth today. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but when you try to pull yourself up from the bootstraps, they come by with a knife and they cut your straps in half. So you fall and right. you bust your ass on the ground. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you gotta have boots. You gotta have boots first. Boots. Yeah. You gotta have boots. You gotta have. But you've also got to have a desire. See, one of my one of my biggest problems with things that go on and and like with the black revolutionary movement is that the the lack of a depth, the lack of depth and planning when it comes to a lot of these things. Because sure, you know, you've got a brother like Fred Hampton who can accomplish all these great things with cooperation in the neighborhood. And that's all it really came down to was cooperation. There wasn't it wasn't like you saw a whole bunch of money running through that organization. That's not how it worked. They just all co- cooperated together, you know. They and they cobbled their skills together in order to make things happen. And the way that the FBI actually worked in infiltrating and finding out everything that was possibly wrong and trying to exploit that to break that up—that's sort of like the history of this country with with Black Americans. Anytime you go to, anytime you have a city in the United States or a place where. Black Americans or black people are doing better than you have the actual government coming in and breaking that up. And that's a serious problem. What? Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. No, go ahead, Grant. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I think that one of the bigger uh, threats in America's mind is the unification of people of color. Well, not just people of color, but in particular, descendants of slaves. American descendants of slaves are a very unique group. Our experience in this country is is we're the only people that have had this experience in this country. You know, there you know, there's a lot of people that have come over um, from Africa, Haiti, wherever they've come from. You know, and and you know, I mean, they get some of it too, but their experience is different coming here. You know what I mean? They're they're forefathers didn't build this place yes. and they still can't have access to it you know so I, so I, I think you know the the just to the point the unit if we were to unify i think america's thinks that would be the biggest threat whether or not there's a lot of money coming in so in in the movie the mac uh you know the mac's brother he he has his own little thing going he's he's kind of revolutionary but he's, his thing is he he wants to live within but without white America. If you can manage to do that, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. But if you can manage to live within yet without white America, that's that's actually what the Panthers were doing. Yes. You know, and they, they can't have that. Rob, you want to expand upon that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's what they've done in Chinatowns all over this all over this country. You know, they've lived within, without, and but they would, when we propose something similar, you know, all of a sudden becomes very problematic. Uh, you know, anytime you talk about some type of black unity, you know, all of a sudden, what happened? You know, you know why is it not good enough to be American? Blah blah blah. Everybody, every other group has their their affinity. You know, the Pulaski Society, the Sons of Italy, all that other stuff. As soon as we even talk about getting together, all of a sudden it's seen as problematic. Because, I mean, some of that is because they, I guess they understand that at some point there has to be, the pendulum has to go back the other way. There has to be some repercussions for what was done karmically. Well, that, that's an argument for saying that, like, um, that's an argument against balance within itself. Because, um, and that's really what we see here. We see the pendulum has swung one way for such a long time, and they're trying their damnedest to make sure that it doesn't swing back in the other direction. That is correct. So aren't they aren't the powers that be, aren't they all about imbalance though? You know what I mean? They don't they don't want it to be balanced. Yeah, they're thumb on the scale guys. They're not right. they're not trying Absolutely. to play this game straight. Absolutely. So that so the easiest way the easiest way to keep it in balance is to just pit everyone against themselves. So that way against one another rather. So this group can never get ahead because all the other groups are against this group. And you know, I really, yeah, and I really like that part. I really like that part in the movie where he, where Fred Hampton actually goes to the 
the KKK meeting, the Southern, the Southern, the white Southerners. Yeah, meeting. right. The Southern gentlemen, you know, whatever they were, uh, whatever you want to call them. And he actually got them to join together. He was able mm-hmm. to show them where their experiences and where their problems lied were equal and where they where together they could actually make some inroads. And that's mm-hmm. a, it's really like a microcosm of what goes on today. And, you know, just for the simple fact that if you look at that, that one thing on the basis of that one thing of how he was the, the, the one thing that's gone past my mind in the past couple of hours is that Martin Luther King Jr. He's a product of the Southern black church and that system. Malcolm X, he was a product of the um, Muslim movement, the black Muslim movement. And trying to define what Fred Hampton was, would you say he was of the people? He was actually, he was representative of the average person, the average guy that's at the bar, you know, at, at that point in time, hanging out on Friday or Saturday night that had a normal job and was just trying to get himself a lady and a woman in a place and, you know, make his way on the, on the face of the surf. And in that way, he was much more dangerous than Malcolm ever was much more dangerous than Martin ever was to the government of the United States. Well, he is, you know, both of those brothers, when they took the step in that direction, that's when they got killed. Malcolm goes, makes his hodge, comes back and talks about the fact that he experienced brotherhood with people of all hues, going to stop standing the white people of the devils and start, you know, preaching on a higher consciousness. Dr. King, the Memphis, why? He's there for a garbage worker strike. Like he had started talking about economic issues in the war. All of a sudden he got to go. Right. Red Hampton, he's bringing together, you know, a rainbow coalition of poverty. Mm. That brother got to go. He like they, they recognized what he was doing was extremely dangerous because he was going to he was going to pull back the curtain on the big game. Right. And, let, and let's just keep in mind, I know it, it wasn't depicted necessarily in the movie, but when the brother died, he was he was 21. So you're talking about a 17, 18 year old uniting all of these people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So. I mean, that's the that's the inherent danger right there. It's one thing for a Martin Luther King who's 50, you know, or, you know, 40, 50 years old. It's one thing for him to do it because his audience is kind of who his audience is. Right. Right. But for Fred Hampton at 17 to get the youth. Oh, bro. (laughs) Nah, that brother was dangerous. You can't have none of that, bro. Oh, my. You can't have none of that. And they took him. They didn't even hesitate to take him out. It's yeah. like, you know, Malcolm X, they went through a great big, they went through this great big theater at the Audubon Ballroom. They had this great big theater that's going on, and that's another thing that's in the news today about how they've come out and they've shown that the FBI and the NYPD were actually in on the murder of, and actually playing the murder of Malcolm X that day. Right. So, you know, they but they went through this great theater in order to make that hap- happen. Martin Luther King, it's another great theater moment you know you never really it's like you they just made it they made it happen they gave this one guy this guy who didn't really care but he was just like dumb as rocks james already had an iq of like didn't he have a famously low iq and was just yeah. like yeah. very just like simple and racist so they just wound him up and pointed him and that was it fred hampton they had the police go in and do it there is no there's nothing more than you know there's nothing more that you way that you can say that that wasn't a sanctioned murder by the government a state sanctioned hit absolutely state sanctioned hit and it takes this many years and it worked you know once again like the the problem is not that it's not just with the action itself it's with the fact that it took us 40 some odd years to have multiple conversations about this on any type of level you know Far after these people's, anyone who was in his prime before that time, anyone who had heard him, it's like they're well past their prime now. So it's like it took us 40 years to have this conversation. Who wants to pick up that conversation where it left off? Yeah, I mean, so history is written by the victors. So, of course, there's no, you know, there's no real mention of him. You know, or or ne- or necessarily of Brother Malcolm, or necessarily of Dr. King, other than February and his birthday. 
and how they can and how they can actually shape you know, his right. discussion yeah, so to they, like keep so people they, in if, line. If the powers that be write the narrative, then that's what the narrative is. You know what I mean? Like, there's no we. It's 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 difficult for us to know it if it's not taught. But that's that's part of the thing, though. If why would we be learning from our oppressors? You know what I mean? Why we we need our own? Well, more importantly to me, it's like why would our oppressors allow this message to be to be um, shared now? They must be feeling very confident that there's going to be no repercussion or blowback, or that any of these that nothing that the people can do at this point really matters. And that's what really strikes me. It's always the timing of things. I think for most people, this is this is just entertainment. There's not a, I don't I don't think there's a a real consciousness in terms of like young kids young kids now. It's the the separation between black and white to them is not really as prevalent as it once was. You know what I mean? Like they're they're much more kumbaya than we were. Okay. Or let me speak for myself than I was. Okay. They're much more kumbaya than that. Okay. You know, now when I when I moved to Brentwood, man, like there was no when I left Detroit, there was there wasn't no black people in there wasn't no white people in Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I didn't I didn't know a whole bunch of white folk mm-hmm. until I moved to Brentwood. So when I got to Brentwood, I mean it's it's Puerto Ricans, it's white folks, it's everybody. You know what I mean? So that it was it was an adjustment period for me. But I mean, people are people. Right. But not everybody thinks like that right you know so i mean i you know with with these youngins man they just they're very um together like they they think that their experience is everybody's experience in that in their in their their peer group right and they they rock with each other like that man yeah i you know i don't think the movie was meant you know the people who like this wasn't a surprise, you know. The ending was a surprise. Like all the the, the deception would happen. Like people know it's been out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that the movie what they underestimate is that the effect it'll have on some young people because young people are starting to understand more and more now. You know, there's a thought among among young white people. Oh, our country would never do this. That would, our country would never do this. And movies like this sort of peel back the curtain on that. Like okay, yeah, this is actually this is your country at work right here. This is these are the things that they have done to these people over the years. Right. And that's the part, like they're probably thinking at it from a straight, like most of the people who enacted COINTELPRO, whatever, they're all gone. There's nothing you can do to them. If they get sued, it's only money. The treasury will print more. Right. Big right. Um, So, but the effect of it, you know, possibly is that some people wake up and go, oh, our government actually would do some of that stuff. We've known, so, you know, but it's right. for the other side to finally learn. And, you know, how many of those people are actually going to stop and watch the movie? <laughs> well, the question is like, how many of those people are actually, um, as what word am I looking for? Um, exposed to those type of things. They're as um, you know, they're actually at the same time, they're just as likely to become victims of that system as we are, and that was kind of what they what Fred Hampton was trying to get across to those people that actually resonated with those people. And now that message has been taken and flipped on its head. You can't possibly tell me from one person. Like I had an interaction a couple a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a week ago, it was on my on my Facebook page when I was like when I was talking about the Trumpers and it was right after I posted it. And in that and in that podcast I I said like um Listen, don't bother me with the shit that you didn't bother with for the past four years. Just don't bother with me. I don't want to hear that shit. I've got a message for you people. Because to me, that shit is all old, said and done. That's like what you want to argue about. That's what you want to talk about. I'm not interested in that. There's no wins for me there. There's no, there's like, if, if like Donald Trump wins or loses, it's like the, the difference is, the difference is basically you. It's not me. It doesn't like nothing that he does really affects me on that level. But your behavior and the way that you're going to feel about it, it definitely changes, you know, and this is what these guys were trying to put forth. They were trying to get actual representation for people that would actually change their lives. And they were killed for it. How could you not recognize that? 
How could you not acknowledge that? Because, you know, if you're like, you know, I think about it, like if you're a suburban parent, like just say you're one of the brothers who got out, you know, so you're out in the suburbs somewhere. What do you know about the Panthers? Like you see the images, they spun, they spun the story. The story was spun widely that these guys were angry black terrorists. If you're, if you weren't interacting with them personally, if all you saw was the images, then who's, who's to know any better? And it was a lot easier back then. Cause it wasn't like we had MTV. It wasn't like we had mass media. You yeah. It wasn't like right. somebody was posting on Instagram, like, Hey, come out to such and such today. We feed, we feed everybody who's hungry in the neighborhood. Right. You know? You had to be in the streets and, and seeing people handing out the, the leaflets and stuff. And you had to be around it to, to actually understand what was going on. And there was there wasn't a lot of that. Well, one thing is for sure is like they're they're They don't build them as selfless as Fred Hampton these days. Like, you know, those that final scene when he gives the money back and he tells the he tells the people that are in the room, he's like, look, you could, you know, with the money that you're going to give me to, to basically to make a run for it. You could build a whole school program, a whole school mm-hmm. clinic. You know, that seed money for a school clinic in this neighborhood. Is this about me or is it about the movement? And I always say, like, I'm always worried. I, hell, I was worried of myself when I started to do this show because I don't want to do the show to self-promote or to make myself look better or feel better. I'm a flawed human being. Rob points that out every week, you know. But I am I'm a flawed individual. I don't want to be out. Hey, you, know, you know what my computer pointed <laughs> out as you started to say you were flawed, you froze on my screen. So. so there you go. See, even Rob's screen knows it. Listen, I'm a flawed human being. I'm not trying to put myself above anyone else and with that generalization generalizations, but a lot of these shows and a lot of these conversations are really about self um promotion. And self-aggrandizement. And, like, you know, when I'm watching this brother Fred Hampton, he's saying, like, listen, this this shit ain't about me. This shit is about you. You know, and actually die from that. You know, the, the simple factor that he died based upon his, the courage of his convictions. It's like, no wonder why you don't hear about him. Go ahead. You, you have to... You have to understand your power, man. Like that's that's really where, you know, the whole knowledge of self piece. You know, once you know yourself, you're confident in yourself, and then you kind of discover the power that you have, right? So knowing the power that you have as an individual makes the group better, mm. right? It makes the group more powerful. So you know, you know. A, a, Five fingers is, you know, flimsy, but a fist is something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so if you could get all the people to understand, and that's Fred Hampton came into the understanding of his own power early in the game. Mm. And he took and ran with it. And he was like, look here, man, like I gotta do this is what I have to do. You know what I mean? Like if it it, it, does, it doesn't do me any good to just have it, I gotta give it away. You know what I mean? Like I gotta, I gotta bring people into the light. And if it, if it kills me, then it just kills me. We didn't have a choice. Yeah. It's deep. Very deep. Yeah. I know like you. I said, I, no, I was just gonna say. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I thought the movie was very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, there was some, there were some things that you know, just on a personal level, that I would have changed, like the people that. Like they would have been in the right age group as actors or whatever, but I mean, whatever. you know, what I mean, it's you know, it's a movie, right? I mean, right. all right, you ain't, gonna, you ain't gonna get everything. I don't expect the movie to be even necessarily one hundred percent historically accurate. Right. You know what I mean? That's not the movie's job. The movie's job is to entertain. Well, it wasn't exactly um, Robert De Niro running through the swamplands either. Right. Right. You know, last year that was ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, but some people, yeah. some people are hung up on the casting of it because your two leads are both guys from the, across the other side of the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other piece. You know what I mean? But I mean, even, either one of those brothers, ADOS. Well, right. you know, one thing that's no. one thing that's interesting about that is because, like, and one of the reasons why you're seeing that is because a lot of European Europe, African Europeans, they know our history better than a lot of African Americans do. They actually study it. 
you know, I remember um, seeing Trevor Noah, and he was like, in stand-up, and he was like, you know, he says, I'm black, I'm South African black, but there's nothing cooler than American black. There's nothing cooler. And we take that for granted because we're so busy looking around saying that you ain't shit and you ain't shit and you ain't shit that you forget about all this greatness that has come from you and all this inspiration that has come from your from your line and from your people. So these guys, like, they're actually paying tribute to black Americans in a way that a lot of black Americans have forgotten to pay tribute to them. You know, and that's kind of, that is really sad. It's really sad. It's like, it, it's, I don't know if it's sad. I guess the word, it's trifling, really, because we don't know these things. You know, I, I look at this and I look at these messages and I, like, personally, when I think about a black movement, I always think that, you know, we went to, like, Grant, you and I went to Howard. There's a lot of, like, progressive liberal mm-hmm. Negroes that are there yeah. that come from different like forms of money and things like that. Right. And I always looked around and one of the things that disenfranchised me about being there at that point in time was, was that I still couldn't fit in no matter where I still couldn't fit in because I saw the movement as being in the streets. I always saw like, you know, cats that were doing music cats that were out there hustling, you know, that's where your strength is. That's where the gangs, mm-hmm. and this is without an understanding of what's going on in Chicago, what happened with the vice lords in Chicago, what happened with, you know, the gangs out in Los Angeles at the point in time. I had the same limited knowledge of blackness as anyone else. The only other, the only advantage I had is that my father was a truck driver who actually went from New York to LA. So I had a lot of, I had some LA cats that actually sat down at my dinner table when I was a young man that I got to experience and, see them and know what they were. You know, they were from my father, my brother used to, my father used to go out there and be there. And my older brother went out there and he went there and he lived there. And, you know, so I know a little bit of the cultural differences. It's just like, it's just one of those lucky things for me. I've just always been an overly observant asshole, even as a little kid, you know, I was that motherfucker that was up in the, that was up in my sister's room. Hey, what's going on? You know, my brother's, hey, what's going on and everything and getting like an understanding of all the stuff that's going on and everything. But they tell me, you better not tell her I'm going to bust your ass and everything. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell. But I did get to grab all this different knowledge about all these different things in these situations. And to me, it's always it always it, it made perfect sense to me that Fred Hampton would go to the gangs in Chicago and ask them to take their manpower and go with his manpower and go with his message and work together. And really, I look at it today, and that's really still the only path. And that part makes me sad because a lot of these dudes is just really thinking about getting drugs, you know, sipping syrup, sleeping with whatever chick they're going to sleep with this Friday, Saturday night. And well, I can they're tell capitalists. These, they're not which They're capitalists. They're they can, not. They weren't. They don't know anything about. They don't know anything about Fred Hampton. They don't know anything about a struggle. Their struggle is different. Their struggle is my mom ain't here to fucking feed me, or to take care of me, or to watch me, and my daddy ain't no place to be seen. And I understand that. You know what I'm saying? I can comprehend that. So we're dealing in a different playing field right now, but the resolution is still pretty much the same. You know, but I don't see that. I don't see that gap being. I don't see that gap being bridged. I think the answer I think the answer would be that whoever can figure out a way to bring all these people into these people that are doing your worst into doing your best then you might well, have something. I think one of the one of the bigger issues in these days and times is the constant bombardment that you get of information. Right. So it's it's easy for some for information to hit you and you get it and you're outraged by it. But in the next five minutes, you're going to get another 500 pieces of information. You know what I mean? How easy how easy is it to forget that, man, I was just outraged about something. What was you know, what the hell was it? Right. You know what I mean? Whereas back in like the 60s, like you said, there was no there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. So 
flyers, newspaper, you know, uh, television news, if you had a television. You know what I mean? Like you got you got all your information from the street. Right. You didn't always get information from the powers that be. You got a lot of it just from the street, just word of mouth. Mm-hmm. That's so you could you could it, it seemed it would seem to me that it would be easier to have a movement in that scenario than it would be to have a movement in this scenario because there's so much more stuff. You know what I mean? Like. And it's very, it's it's a lot, and, and they even expand upon that, it's a lot easier for agitators to get in there and mess with the messages. You know, right. back then, you know, we're watching Judas and the Black Messiah. We didn't even talk about Judas. Judas is this guy that basically didn't want to go to jail. And he went and he walked with all these righteous brothers for all these years, climbing in their ranks to become head of security. You know, he played the role so well that he became head of security. So he was able to he was able to gather all this information. It was just out of basic fear for him not having the courage to go and do a do a bid that he that he deserved to do. You know, he could have saved the entire movement himself just by being like, you know what, I'm out. I'm out. You send me wherever you want. Send me where you want to go. Yeah. And everything. And then at the end of the movie when they showed it he blew he had made that statement. He was in. He was in there. At least I was involved. I cared for the people. And what did he do that night? He went upstairs and he blew his brains away. Actually, he ran out into traffic. Oh, did he? he ran out into yeah, traffic. Ran into traffic. He tried to jump out the window of his home, but somebody held him in, and then he ran out into traffic. Mm. But yeah, he know like that tells you very well that he knows he screwed up. His soul is not sit, was not sitting well. He knows he right. screwed up. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it, and and whether it's whether he's that was his acknowledgement that he was cowardice in real life and that he should have just taken the bid, yeah. should have just paid. And and let's not even say taking the bid like it's something you know. When you start talking about people taking bids, now you're making it something romantic, you know, uh-huh. like it's no, like he should have just paid the consequences for the crimes that he committed. That's correct. You know, should have taken account for the things that he did, paid the time, and the movement continues. Right, or they, find, t- or they have to find some. The unfortunate part is they'd have found somebody else because there's right. There's always going to be one everywhere. There's always another guy, and you know they may not have been as good as him. They may not have climbed as high in the organization, but there would have been somebody else. And there's that scene uh, in the movie where the other guy comes over and says, hey, "You know, we're hiding in plain sight, man." Mm-hmm. Um, why does Little Rel, by the way, keep getting acting jobs? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy the brother's <laughs> getting checks, but I'm still not understanding why he's. He's everywhere still. Like he's the same. He's the same dude in every movie. Yeah, he's you not acting mean? ever. Yeah, yeah, well, same like, dude. In every movie. Should be called Lil Rel in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Rel was played by Lil Rel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not gonna get mad at the brother for paying this bill. So uh, yeah, I'm happy for him. Be... I'm just not understanding why everybody's you know compelled to to uh, cast him. Well, they're they're they com- He he's a comfortable face. You yeah, know, that's he's chosen. Ca- that's what casting maybe, maybe is. he's maybe he's one of the chosen. He's one. Of, you know how how do you know how do our leaders get put in front of us? And I say our, meaning Ados. How do how do our leaders get put in front of us? Do we choose them or are they chosen for us? They're definitely. You know, in Hollywood, do we choose the do we cho- did we choose to like Denzel or did Hollywood decide that hey we gonna give you Denzel? You know what I mean? Like right. How do these things happen? You can look at it from both angles. Right. Yeah. How do these things happen? Well, one thing about entertainment, it's like if you're not willing to sell out to a certain degree, you're not going to, you're only going to go but so far. You know, we saw that firsthand. If you don't, you know, if you don't, and to me, it's like I'd still rather be myself than be um, a caricature or something different. But, you know, a lot of those caricatures are right now, I'm sitting on a, $50 $50 chair, and they're sitting on a $500,000 chair. Uh, right. I, I watched Friday yesterday, and I, I have not seen the movie Friday in its entirety yet. Mm-hmm. Let me just put that out there. Really? Really. Wow. Wow. I haven't seen it in its entirety. Uh, I've seen parts of it, never seen, never sat down, sat. So, I mean, there are parts of it. I'm like, why is he doing that? Like, you know, stuff doesn't make sense. But, you know, those brothers, they did all right for themselves. Yeah, no, yeah. For themselves. Yeah, you know, is it basic? Yeah, but you know, it led to other projects. You know, well, remember the, O'Shea, O'Shea Jackson is in you know 
are we there yet? Part ninety seven, whatever. Like right. <laughs> catching yeah. those right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, he was he was triple X at one point. He was a uh, he was a cop in that one movie. He's he's played he's been a lot of flicks. Yeah. Like so, you know, he saw obviously he took the check at some point, but is it really a bad thing? Like, is selling out really the worst thing ever? Well, you like, know, you can you can. You can sell out. You can sell out and still do a lot of good shit. Well, I know you cats said you didn't watch the movie um, "One Night in Miami" that was done by Regina King, but that's part of that's the one with that's the other movie with Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown yeah. and Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke, yeah, you know, that's on the list. That's a, you definitely got to see that movie. But one thing about that, one thing about Sam Cooke's character is that Sam Cooke was. Essentially, him and Malcolm X go at each other in the movie. They do go at each other in the movie. And it shows a lot of the nuance of the of the black power movement in 1960, what was going on with these black men being, these doors being open to these black men and what they went, went against at that point in time. And Sam Cooke was in a situation where he was a singer-songwriter. He had his own label. He didn't have to... Jim Brown pointed out to Malcolm X at one point. He's like, look, Sam is the only one here that ain't got to wait on a paycheck that ain't waiting on a paycheck from somebody else. He's handling this stuff. And it gets into the economics of the situation. You brothers definitely need to check that movie out ASAP. So, I, I, yeah. I, I want to check that out. But if you if you get a chance on Netflix, The Two Killings of Sam Cooke mm-hmm. um, talks about, goes a little bit deeper into the fact that like Sam was ahead of his time sort of setting up his business. He got rooked anyway. Yeah, he got rooked anyway. He got robbed. I'm um, sure. But Sam was all about people, you know, owning their masters, having the rights to their music, setting up their own enterprise, and being really being the boss of their careers. Exactly. Uh, and you know, he had his own record company. He was trying to push other people in that direction. Uh, there are some who believe that you know it's probably not an accident that he went in the way that he did because he was messing with people's money. Most right. definitely. Most definitely. And it wasn't black people's money he was messing with either. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. Anytime you're a threat to their money, you might as well forget it. They're coming for you. They come for you on a on a serious level. So you have to you basically you sell and you get your you you get your piece of the pie. So but, just as a as a question, isn't all of this so Sam Cook with the records, um let's call it, let's say Tyler Perry or or Ice Cube with the movies, whatever, whatever. John X with Spreaker. Right. Isn't all of this just this, isn't all of this the same discussion that we had last week about when is when do the when do the HBCUs become players in the real game? It's definitely right? it's definitely all the same conversation. It's the same conversation, even breaking it down when it when it comes to how they cut up Africa into different pieces and gave that gave that continent to different countries, one one part goes to France, one go, part goes to England, one part goes to the United States, and they're still cutting up the resources of that country. It's just on a it's just on a macro level here. It's just the resources are us, you know, more directly, and we can see it. And you have to be under control because if not, if you're gonna mess with their money, you know, it's just like it's the same thing as the system today doesn't allow for people can say small businesses and it's it's on a such such a bigger level because people could say like, you know, oh, we don't support small businesses or, you know, the United States doesn't support small businesses the way that it actually should support small businesses. And that's true. But if you are lucky enough to have a small business and you are lucky enough to make enough inroads, eventually a corporation is going to approach you. And usually that corporation is going to be one of your competitors and they're going to offer you so much money and they're not necessarily offering you that money because they see your idea as being a greater idea that they can expand and make even more money off of it. A lot of times just because you're competing with one of their existing businesses. So by buying you out, you, they remove you and they get that market share. They get all the market share and that's one less thing they have to worry about. The same reason why record labels used to sign artists who had really hot demos and really hot music. And they would take them and they would sign them and they would shelve them. Right. Because they don't want that artist coming out at the same time as 
Run DMC or Jay Z's album, or you know, we heard that all the time. There were cats that were they thought they were gonna break, and in the interim, what ended up happening was they basically sold their chance away for twenty five thousand, and out of that, they probably got seven or eight. Right. So matching Suzuki so, Samurais. Right. So how do you? How do you? So if if that's gonna be the end result, so if I, if you start a business and the end result is gonna be you end up selling it to a corporation that the old phase own. If you, you know what I mean? Like, so, so if the old phase come and offer me, you know, several million dollars for city wings and I sell it, what was really the point? You know what I mean? So like, to me, my, my thing with city wings, 2896 West Grand Boulevard, Detroit, Michigan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my thing with city wings has always been the same, right? City Wings is supposed to be a business for my family and people in my community, right? right? That's what it's supposed to be. Right. It's not supposed to be something for anybody else. It's supposed to be for us. So if I if I take it, build it up, and then sell it to the white man, what was the point? Well, you know what I mean, like I, sound, I, the point is options. that most of us are brought up in a capitalist system, and so we're thinking. When we're building with a capitalist paradigm, like you're coming at it from a from a community based point of view, which not a lot of people do, like you're you're looking at it as not something to enrich you and to to further your family fortune. But you're looking at as something that's going to grow roots and help create community, help be a part of the community, but help create community at the same time. Like a lot of people are brought up with a capitalist paradigm like, yo, you build it, you expand it. You know, I was talking to a guy the other day and he works with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. And he's like, the first thing that they all do, they all want to scale up as soon as, you know, as soon as they can. Like, that's sort of the playbook. You scale up, you get as big as you can until you get until you get big enough that they notice you. And now they want to buy you out and swallow you. So then you can then go sit on a beach or start your next project. Right. right. But yeah. that's, you know, to, to, in order to, you know, we got to get people to sort of teach another point of view, another reason for being for a lot of these businesses besides, hey, you know, you can strike it rich and. You know. Well, the thing is, there's no value in that, though, from what they, from what these, from what the younger generation has been taught. The value is all in selling out, and once you sell out, you get those stock options. Now you can fly to Dubai, and you can hang out, and you can take pictures on Instagram. If you've spent 20 years building this business with your wife, you can now get rid of your wife and go get you one of those 23-year-olds, 24-year-olds <laughs> on Instagram. And, like, your wife can be completely and totally cool with it because she can go out and she can get her a 20 something year old with, you know, tight abs or whatever. Or and, she can give away all the money that you spent so many years building. Or she could, you know, but you know what? But that's the dream though. That's the dream. Cause even being able to say that she did that and everything isn't, is an accomplishment. Now I'm sure later on in life, 50, 60 years old, you know, if this happens at 40 and you're broke by 50, you're going to be sitting there wanting to fucking blow your heads out or brains out, or you're going to be looking at Fox News looking for a scapegoat. You're going to be looking for someone else to blame for falling victim to, like, this very simple lesson. Doing the right thing is never easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. We wouldn't have the conversations that we have today. But it's not easy. You know, we don't have benevolent masters who want to see people, like, thrive and do well. We've got guys that want to block out the sun and control the population and, for right or wrong, and make sure that things go the way that they've continued to go, that they're safe in their gated communities, that the things that they have, the best things on this earth, continue to be available to them, and to hell with everyone else. And that's the world that we live in. And any other conversation is like, now somebody's listening to this podcast and they're scribbling down the words S-O-C-I-A-L because you're talking about everyone doing well as opposed to just one person doing well and everything. But that's not what it is. What it is is that people need to have a reason to get up in the morning. If COVID hasn't taught us anything, it's that people need a reason to get up and do things every morning. And if not... Right. You know, you you go nuts. So, 
Well, so if we, at some point, to me, and this one of the beautiful things about Brother Fred Hampton is that he defined his own journey. It wasn't. It wasn't defined. His goals were set by him. They were. He he made his own definitions of what his success was going to be. Yes. If we when when how can we get people to understand that we have to make our own definitions of what success is? It can't just be if all it's going to be is you build it up and then sell it, and you and you start again. You build it up, you sell it. I mean, you're selling it to the same people. So. It's, we're always gonna, as a as a group, we're always gonna be at the bottom of the totem pole if all we do is build something up in order to sell it to the people that oppress us. And that and that thought process is something that they are completely and totally happy with. That and as long as people don't think outside of the box, they don't wonder. You don't wonder whether or not it's the classic red blue red pill blue pill. You know, I've noticed that as we've gone on with this with this podcast that a lot of the points of view have come up, no matter what we're talking about, they always end up regurgitating themselves. <laughs> right, right. Because you know? at the end, at the end, a lot of the issues come down to sort of the same thing. Like, are you going to, you know, you're going to allow yourself to sort of float along on the tide, which is what most people do. They just ride the waves. Or are you going to, you know, swim against the tide and decide on your own destiny? Right. And that's a very small group that's going to do that. But you would have to start intercepting these kids, like to get kids to sort of build towards something else. You've got to intercept them when they're two. You've got to change mindsets of a couple of generations of their of their people on top of, you know, you can't just intercept the kids and say, hey, we want you all to start thinking this way because they're going to go home and tell their parents what they think. And their parents are going to disagree with them. And then, you know, you got to confuse kid and, you know, right. they'll, they'll bash their soul until they, you know, conform to what the parents know. Like it's going to take a little bit it's going to take a lot of brainwashing of a lot of people and you can't just say oh you know we got to start teaching the kids this you got to get the adults too you got to get the people who are going to raise the kids and therein lies the rub right yeah that's that's i got it you know my grandmother used to always tell me every time the the subject of college came up you know you need to go and get get you a trade something the white man cannot take away from you Right. So to her, college was just foolishness. You know, my dad saw it as the way up and the way out. His mother saw it as something that was just going to get me in trouble. You know, going to make me a sophist. Yeah. My, uh, <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> my father had a my father had a similar view. When it came to college, it was like I've got a moving truck. I've like you know bought this house. I've done all these things. You don't need all that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying you don't need all that thinking stuff. You know, but that thinking stuff is part of that thinking stuff. He doesn't even realize that, you know, he didn't realize, God rest his soul, that his ability to think is the reason why he had that truck. It wasn't his ability to get up and go to work. It was his yeah. way to figure out those problems, even with a limited education. Just because you're limited in education doesn't make you dumb. It just makes you not exposed to different things. Indeed. Met, so. I met a lot of MDs and PhDs who are quite dumb. They can navigate the books, but isn't that fucking don't let nuts? Them out, don't let them out on Broadway. Isn't that fucking nuts? Isn't that crazy when you ever meet, meet someone with a lot of letters in front of their name and they're just really like can't walk and chew gum at the same time and shit? Yeah, you're afraid well, to drown, drown themselves in small pools. Yeah, I mean it's just it's like being a it's like being a basketball player. If that's all that you do, yeah, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be very proficient at that, but just that regular normal regular stuff you know maybe maybe you're not going to be as as adept at it because you spend all your time playing basketball studying anatomy you know studying teeth i mean whatever whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. you know i mean like if you spend all your time doing that yeah you're supposed to be super proficient at that right you know the ten thousand hours or whatever you know you're supposed to be good at that but what about every every other aspect of life what about the things that you're not that you're paying less attention to? Are you a Gladwell right. guy? You, you mentioned the ten thousand hours. You a Malcolm Gladwell guy? Yeah, right? I mean, I you know, I I I understand what he's talking about. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I, nah, go ahead. I think you brothers really need to see that one night in Miami film. 
Yeah, let's check know, it out. I, I really would like to. I'd really like to discuss that like a little bit more in depth because it like really, um, the Jim Brown piece. He was just like, he just broke it down. I'm gonna see it before we record the next show. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into it too much. Jim yeah, Brown is always that dude. I saw a story. There's so many of these rap shows on now, but um, Jamie Foxx and LL Cool J apparently got into it on the set of On Any Given Oh, Sunday. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and LL went street on him, you know, dropped Jamie King, Jamie, and LL's dudes came down. Right. So for like two days, they had to shut the set down. And for like two days, it was sort of like, LL had some some queens, some brothers from Queens there, mm-hmm. and Jamie had like his agent. They're like these singers; they don't they don't get it. Like, <laughs> right. these dudes are different. <laughs> it's like Jamie and his agent, you know, over there, right? And LL and his group over there, and um, Jim Brown finally had to call everybody together and basically uh-huh. yeah. say, "Fuck is wrong with you niggas? We busted mm-hmm. our ass to get you guys these opportunities, and now y'all in here fucking it up, fighting and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, what's wrong with y'all?" Fight with each other. Get professional. Yeah, get professional. Right. Let's get this shit done. Let's make this paper. Right. And that was and that was sort of like his position in the in the movie too. It's like you could see how he was the peacemaker between Malcolm and, and Sam and not in a not in a in a um in a candy ass like, you know, like um crying or even I my vocabulary is just completely slipping me today. <laughs> But it's like, you know, it's just like, it's just, woo, it's See, Sunday. Seeing your son has got you reclept. Ever since John John came in the room, you've been reclept. Yeah, the boy is fucking big. It's a big motherfucker. He's eating. He's eating. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? He's big. You know, so. Over 20. He over 20, you know, so. Oh, the COVID 20. COVID 20. Oh, you 20. mean the COVID yeah, 20 pounds? COVID 20. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, nah, he ain't that type of big, though. He's just big. He's just big yeah. and solid, you know, so. You know, it's kind of inspired me, you know, to get back out there and just do a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I, I don't know what uh, is. I don't want to know either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shout out to the baby boy. He ain't no baby no more, but still my boy. Yeah, they grow. They grow. They grow when they mm-hmm. leave, you know, which is a good thing. No, you know, Jim was all about, Jim, Sam Cook was all about economic independence. Malcolm was getting towards economic independence. Obviously, the Nation of Islam was about economic, black economic independence. I can see how that group would be very interesting to to put into a room. And I got to check that film out. And they're saying great things about Regina King's direction. Oh yeah, that was just her process. Oh, was it was like you could just see it. You know, Jim Brown says to Malcolm X at one point, he's like, well, look, you know, Sam, he ain't looking for a check. And like, you know, Muhammad, he's got to worry about these cats and everything. He's like, he's like, you know, oh, Malcolm said, you know, all these niggas worry about their job. He said, you ain't got no job, you know, (laughs) and that was the truth. He was the only one that really he didn't really have a job. He was a front man for the NOI. And then after that, he started his own organization. But he was beholden to other people just as much as anyone else, except for he was beholden to black people, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the minister. And we see how that worked out for him. He didn't agree with what he felt he saw that was going on, which is another conversation completely and totally. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not going to say anything disrespectful this time. Nope. Oh, <laughs> that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Stars and bars. <laughs> I am completely oh, shocked. Lord. Y- y'all know I get a little touchy when you start talking about Malcolm like that. Yeah, yeah. Listen, man, I love I love Malcolm X. That was my dude, you know. Just like I, go ahead. I love them all, man. I love them all. You know, I mean they everyone's experience is their own experience. So everyone's point of view is gonna be different. You know what I mean? Right. The, the the thing we have to do is I'm not a, I'm not afraid of like our experiences. We have some overlap in our experiences, but they're they're still different. I'm not afraid of what Rob thinks. You know what I mean? I can I can listen to what Rob says and take what I need, use it. Right. You know what I mean? It, and he may even be able to change my mind on some things. Mm-hmm. Same thing with you. Same thing with X. You know what I mean? Like I I'm not afraid of you know y'all y'all opposing opinion being different from mine. I'm not afraid of y'all changing my mind unless you present something to me with 
some, you know what I mean? It's gotta, it's gotta have some backbone on it. You know right. what I mean? It's gotta be something that you can stand on and I can look at it and I can stand on it too. And then I'm gonna be like, all right, cool. Because to me, it's all about being together. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's about being in unity. Yes. You know, not not my my rightness is is less important than the fact that we are together. Right. And the part about unity that really struck me, that struck me as the last part was how did he get how did that FBI man, how did he finally get that guy? His the FBI director, how did he bring the point out to his man about what they were doing, what they were about to do to this black organization was the right thing to do? Simple. He just asked him. What are you gonna do when your daughter brings home a black man? Right. What do you What do you mean? She's just a baby. Well, when not she's not just. What are you gonna do when she brings back? And that put that battery in that boy's back. And after that, he just walked out there and he just thought about it. He was like, you know what? And this is what a lot of them are going through on this. On this is what we're fighting right now. They're concerned about them bringing home a bringing home someone different. It's an irrational fear. We've seen what happens. You win, you get a quarterback that wins the Super Bowl. You know, right. that's what happens. You get, you know, you get a, um, you get a tennis champion. You get all these different things. You know, you get sometimes you get better things because those are those are children that are brought up. It's not. I don't think it's even so much the the melding of the genes of the two. I think that it's like in order for you to grow up in that environment, it's got to be a loving environment because those two individuals go through, they face so much adversity together just to stay together. You know, some people may not like that point of view, but it's the truth. It's a fact. You, you, you get the the cocoon effect, us, us against the world. Yes. And it makes you, it makes you a little bit stronger, you know? So we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. We got a long fight ahead of us. And I don't even know if it's my fight at this point. I think it's somebody else's fight, really. Hello. Is that little is that the little one, Grit? Yeah, Layla just popped her head in. Hello, Miss hey. Layla. Say what's up. They say what's up to you. Hello, Miss Layla. Oh, getting bashful now. They can hear you. Don't be shy. I don't know, his head's like all up in the screen, like it's huge. What a nugget right there. Like back away from the screen, John X. Look at that. You done made another girl cry, Rob. This is why I can't this is why I can't mess with you, Rob. You know what? And with that, we're gonna call it an episode, our first episode on our new sellout on our new sellout no. Did I say sellout? No. All right, we're not selling yet. On Spreaker. No selling out. No sellouts. Yeah. Freaker. Yeah. And thanks for joining me on this uh, Sunday afternoon for this quick podcast recording. Yes, sir. I know you A- anytime, my brother. You know, yeah, you know, man. Anytime. I, I made the mistake last night of watching uh, Malcolm and Marie. Okay, what's um, that? Oh, I, I heard that makes you want to switch your wrist. <laughs> it's uh, John David Washington and Zendaya. Um, okay. He plays the director of a movie that had its premiere uh, that day, and then they come home after the premiere and um, blow up their relationship. Although I don't know how much they really blow it up. Like they they blow it out a lot, but I don't know if they ever really blow it up, which is probably tragic on both fronts. So is this a is this a um, recommendation for a film to watch? I don't think it's a recommendation. I don't think I, I don't. It, you have to be a film guy to really want to watch yeah. this. I don't think she I heard. Really I heard it wasn't it. a very good movie. Yeah, it's it, it's two people. Right, the entire cast is two people. Like it's two people arguing for an hour and forty six minutes. It's a pandemic movie. Right, yeah. it's a exactly. pandemic movie. They, you know, they came up with all these different new ideas in order to shoot movies, and that's just what it is. And that's what we're stuck with. But we can only watch but so much of it. You no, know. I mean, there have been other plays like this. You know, I mean, there have been some very unique theater concepts where they, you know, you sort of stuck with two people in a room and, you know, you get this slice of life thing. Like, here, we're going to, you know, we're not going to, we're not resolving anything. We're just going to show you what's happening. Right. And we're going to give you 18 hours in this life and then, you know, we'll move on about our business and they will too. Yawn. But, uh, you know, because of the names that are attached to it, you know, people are, you know, it's a little bit buzzy, but, yeah. 
Oh, oh, yeah. oh I'm sorry. I, I dozed off. <laughs> <laughs> Just listening to the description. <laughs> All right, I'm going to yeah. have to end the podcast now. I need a nappy nap. Thanks, Ron. When I need a story or description, I'm going to call you later on when I can't sleep. Because that was like a really good one. Right, I, got, I got a good story for you later. <laughs> okay. Mr. Grant Lancaster, give yourself yes, a round of applause. Yes, sir. Mr. Robert Brooks, give yourself a round of applause. Uh. And for everyone listening to this podcast for the first time on Spreaker, give yourselves a round of applause, born in trouble. See you Friday on our normal posting night. Peace. Peace. Peace.